Hello, welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, and uh, returning guest on the podcast today, my very good friend, Jay King, from Mass Live up in, up in Massachusetts, covers the Boston Celtics excellently. Uh, Jay, I haven't talked to you in a minute. How you doing, man? Not bad, man. It's been too long. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I... Uh, I'm, I'm get, I, it's funny. I, uh, I said on the podcast last week that I was, that I was moving. And I hadn't talked to you in a minute and, uh, you could, you couldn't bother to listen. So you just text me and go, what is this announcement about? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I did listen to the podcast later. I just didn't have time that day. And no, I, wanted I know, to know, the I know but it, it did, uh, it did, it did make me laugh. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in the process of, uh, of, fi- of, of getting myself ready to, uh, to drive across the country that that's what uh that's what i've got going on but you you don't have to you don't have to go anywhere to, to find an interesting team though because you you cover the boston celtics who who had a uh who finally struck struck gold in in free agency in in july and and seem like they're going to have a, a pretty interesting team again this year yeah i, I don't know if, if it was gold because gold i think would have been kevin durant but yeah, i would i would call out al, al horford gold for a team that that has failed to ever basically sign a marquee free agent of any kind. I mean, who is the uh, who is the who is the best free agent the Celtics have ever signed before Al Horford? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I mean, they signed some guys who were interesting and who only went there to play for the Celtics, like Rasheed Wallace, Shaq, Jermaine O'Neal. Those guys took pay cuts to go all, there. Those guys were all at the end of their careers, though. They they were all washed up. Yeah, I, I mean. There was no like nobody I mean, even is closed it, down. I mean, is it Kenny Anderson? <laughs> Kenny Anderson was a trade. That's man. right. He was traded and re-signed, right? Yeah. Like I, I really don't, I really don't know what the answer. I mean, to me, I, I don't even think there's anybody in the history of the Celtics that's even close to uh, um, to Horford, right? The only thing is, if if you say KG was kind of like a free agent no, because he no, had to agree no, to the extension, no, no, <laughs> he wasn't at all. He had to agree. He it's had fine, to agree, but he, man. But he but he got traded there. Like that doesn't count. But but he wanted to stay there, and, and they had to convince him that's, that he wanted to stay fine. there, or else that's, that deal wouldn't that, happen. That's fine. He got traded there. If he had been a free agent, <laughs> would he, if he had been a free agent, he was never going to sign with the Celtics. Yeah, yeah. So that fair. doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, look. <laughs> I just looked up. Look, I looked up a list of the best free agent signings in Celtics history. I just did a quick search on the internet. You don't want to look at that. No, you don't look, want to look at that. Now look, I'm just telling you. The number top three names on the list are Xavier McDaniel, James Posey, and Dominique Wilkins. I was going to say Dominique. And Dominique, yeah. And Dominique was garbage. Like, yeah. I mean, there's, there's yeah. nothing there. I mean, it, so, yes, to me, I mean, what to get back more to um, – uh, to get to get back to the uh, to the original question, um, what is, what is the mood like up there, um, heading into heading into camp uh, with a team with a team that you know no they didn't get Kevin Durant but they do they did Al add Al Horford without really losing anyone of consequence to so a team that won forty eight games and and has a really good coach and, and has a lot of draft picks and seems to be um, seems to be on the upswing I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, so Al, Al Horford was—he was like the perfect addition, and and by that I mean he's not just the second best free agent on the market behind Kevin Durant. If you needed a guy, the perfect guy to fit into Brad Stevens' system, where the centers and and big guys handle the ball a lot, and they need a guy who can shoot, 
and a guy who can defend multiple positions. It's Al Horford, man. And he, he can fit with any big man on the roster. So he, he's a huge upgrade from, from Sullinger. He's, he's a huge upgrade from any big man they had on their roster last year. So, I mean, they had a 48-win team. They added Al Horford. They added the number three pick in Jalen Brown, who who knows what he'll be, but he's at least intriguing. And and they have, you know, further opportunities in the future, whether it's through cap space or a, a trade or another draft pick from Brooklyn to get better in the future. So the, the mood there is great. They think they're in an awesome place with a young team, a talented team, and with a coach, Brad Stevens, who everyone loves. Now, now that's all. Now that's all. All totally true. Now let, let's let's look at this Al Horford signing a little bit. So I, I um I stirred some people up in Boston last month when I was on a podcast and I said that I thought that Isaiah Thomas was a fake All Star last year and kind of oh, so I've been I've been emailing back and forth with uh, one of the guys I was on that podcast with uh, Jared Weiss this week, kind of about that and about the Celtics in general. Um, and, and to be clear, the point of what I was saying was that I think Isaiah Thomas is a very good player. I think Isaiah Thomas is a perfect fit with the Celtics. And I think if you look back on Isaiah Thomas's career, it's very likely he made one all-star team. Maybe he'll make another one, but that was probably the all-star team he would make. I mean, I think if you look at the point guards in the league, you're probably ranking him somewhere between 8 or 9 and 12 or 13. So, Okay, where does he rank in the Eastern Conference, though? Well, no. Okay, so last year he made the All-Star team because basically I think because Kyrie Irving was hurt. Cause so I you've think, got Kyrie Irving, Kyle Lowry, John Wall. Yes, for sure. And then I think, and then, like, for instance, this year, I think I think Goran Dragic is a better player overall than Isaiah Thomas. I don't think anyone would argue that last year Isaiah Thomas had a better – I think everyone would say, Jared, Isaiah Thomas had a better year last year. But I think yeah. with, with Dwayne Wade being gone, for example – like to me, I think Goran Dragic will be a much more effective player in Miami because he'll have the ball kind of like Isaiah. He'll have the ball instead of taking turns with Dwayne Wade. He will have the ball in his hands all the time. And I think you saw when he was in Phoenix just how effective he could be when he has the ball all the time. So you could make an argument for a guy like him. I mean, last year Reggie Jackson was, I think, probably in a similar phylum to Isaiah Thomas. I mean, I think Isaiah deserved to make the all-star team, but you know, Reggie Jackson was, you know, I think most people thought they were kind of in the same ballpark for getting on the team. Jackson's younger. Um, Jack, you know, he's got a chance to maybe get a little better. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's in that group somewhere kind of, you know, four five, six, you know, some people like Kemba Walker. I don't think Kemba Walker's as good as him. Um, but you know, four five, six somewhere in the East, but, um, but what what I was gonna what I was gonna get back to with that I was circling around to you know Horford obviously is the best player on the team I don't think anyone would argue that he is a a true All Star player um, guy who's made the team multiple times like you said one of the most underrated big men in the league the last few years because of his ability to kind of do everything at like a B plus level um, he might not be the best in the league at any one thing but he he's really good at everything. Um, and I, I just, I'm just curious because I've been thinking about the Celtics the last couple of days doing this email thing with Jared. How do you see the two of them being utilized by Stevens? And I, and I guess what I mean is, do you think that he will try to break their minutes up? Because to me, the best way to have them utilize their skill sets the most is to have them on the court for as many of the 48 minutes as possible um, and kind of have one of them out there almost all the time. So do you, 
Do you think that that's kind of the way he'll approach things, or do you think it's more likely that you know they'll spend most of the time out there together and they'll they'll put together the other you know the the other you know fifteen or sixteen minutes as they go? I think that's a really interesting question because you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like okay, they need one of these guys on the court at all times because if Isaiah Thomas is sitting on the bench and Al Horford's not out there, the offense could really struggle. Who right. knows who's going to be the point guard in that situation? And having Al Horford out there, he's not a point guard, obviously, but he's a playmaker. He's a creator. You can run stuff through him. You can also look at it the other way, in that having Al Horford with Isaiah Thomas would be such a good fit in in the pick and roll and in the sense that, yeah, Isaiah Thomas isn't the greatest defender, so having a guy like Al Horford behind him would be huge. So you can look at it either way, and I do think if Horford – if the if they both start, I assume they're both going to start because. Oh yeah, you no, no, no. Take... I, I wasn't arguing that. I mean, they'll, they'll undoubtedly yeah. you don't you didn't sign Al Horford to a, a max contract, have him come off the bench. I mean, they're both definitely going to start. Yeah, so I, I I think I think they work so well together. Like all the pick and pop jumpers that used to go to Jared Sullender, now they're going to a guy in Al Horford who is money from the mid range and can now stretch to three, or like all the all the lost pick-and-roll opportunities because Sullinger wasn't great, and Amir Johnson, like, he's decent, but he's not a real threat. Now they go to Horford, and you have pick-and-roll guy with Isaiah Thomas and, and more space. I think that's a dynamic duo, and I, I think they should play those guys together a lot. And I, I think you can get away with maybe in the second unit, uh, maybe if Terry Rozier plays some point guard, he looked good in summer league, or right. if Marcus Smart takes a, a step in his development. And and you can have guys like Jarebko, Johnson coming off the bench maybe. I don't know. There, there's a lot of different things that can go. But either way, if you space those guys out or if you play them both together, I, th- I think they're dynamite together. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it definitely should be it definitely should be a nice fit. Um, you know, I've, been a, I've long been a big Horford fan. And like you, you mentioned before, he is a really nice fit, I think, for the way Stevens likes to play because he is somebody that can handle the ball. And I mean, he basically is, you know, if you say Jared Sullinger is a, a C probably at everything or a C minus at everything maybe, you know, Horford is just that much better than him at, at everything across the board. Everything except rebounding. I would say rebounding is like the one area right. when, when you look at the Celtics, that's something they could struggle with and that's something they'll have to really – really focus on. Well, and probably rim uh, protection too, right? Like, I haven't looked at the numbers, but, I mean, Horford's always been solid defending the rim, but I, I don't think, I wouldn't call him elite at that, and that, that was probably the one part of their defense last year that, that was a little, not that it was lacking, but that was kind of the one part that was, I would say, more average than anything else, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, but uh, Amir Johnson's pretty good at it, and Horford's definitely a step up from Selinger. So I guess, what I, you is, have, I guess what I meant is I think last year they were like 13th or 14th at the rim. I mean, I, I don't think that with Horford they jumped to the top five, right? Like maybe, no, they, go up, maybe they go up a couple spots because he definitely is better than Sollinger. But it, I, I just I just meant that might be the one other area he's not light years ahead of him. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. Um, but I, obviously they, they run their defense through Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder. Right. And all the guys on the perimeter—that—that's what really makes them a special defense. Yes. No. That—that's. Uh, no. That—that is a—that is a hundred percent true. And um, but I, but I wanted I wanted to ask you about Thomas, um, because you know, kind of the 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 main thrust of this back and forth I had with Jared was he, 
he more or less agreed with my initial opinion on on Thomas in a vacuum. But he he thought that that he would get a lot more efficient playing with a guy like Horford. And and while I I kind of get that argument to some degree, I also just look at Isaiah Thomas and I don't think it really matters who he's on the court with. I think he just kind of is what he is. And and that I think that in a lot of ways is a good thing because I think a big reason why the Celtics have been so effective since trading for him is that on a team that really didn't have anybody that could score the ball, he he can always get his own shot, basically no matter what what else is happening around him. Kind of, you know, he is an Isaiah, he is an Allen Iverson, but they had kind of an Allen Iverson early 2006ers kind of feel to their team where they had, you know, a bunch of guys that were grinders and could shoot a little bit and mostly play a lot of defense around this small guy who could get his shot anywhere and really can create a lot of offense and get to the foul line. And I just, I just wonder, and I have a feeling you probably tend to agree with him because you were mentioning the pick and pass with Horford before, but like to me, I just don't, I don't really see his assist numbers skyrocketing because he's playing with, um, with Al Horford more now. I I think he's probably going to be kind of more or less the same guy with the same percentages. Do you, where, where do you where do you come down on on that and how he's coming into this season? That's another really good question, and I, I, I I've been predicting that he'll have a better season than last year. And I, I think Horford makes a difference, and and why I say that for the most part is, yeah, maybe it it doesn't make like a massive difference because Isaiah Thomas can create a shot all the time, which which is ridiculous at five nine, but he can. Last year they had Jared Sullinger and Amir Johnson in this starting lineup, and obviously that is not conducive to space, and right. that, that, does, right. that does not help out a guy who gets the hoop. One, one stat that's kind of startling about Isaiah Thomas, 34% of his shot attempts came from within two feet of the basket, according to basketballreference.com. And, and that, that's like one of the top marks for any guard in the league. It's up there like Russell Westbrook was at 37 and he's like the top guy in that stat. And so if you can make those shots a little easier and by dragging out a big guy or by by having Al Horford's pick and roll presence in there, like that that could make a difference and that could that could boost his efficiency up a little bit. I don't think he's going to like have like some super crazy efficient boost efficiency boost because of Horford's addition, but I wouldn't be surprised if if he's at least a little better in that sense. Yeah, no, and I, and I and I think you're. I think that's a fair point, and it, I I could certainly see, um, I could certainly see that happening where, where he he does he that that all does help him. I I I to me the Celtics are just a really interesting team in general because I, I I do feel like a lot of this stuff is kind of amorphous with them. Like, you know, it, they definitely have a good a good amount of talent. You know, getting Horford was a huge a huge coup for them. You know, it, it takes them from being a team that can hoard all this cap space and hoard all these draft picks, but never is one that people look at as a realistic free agent destination. And now, you know, now they got that first guy. And now if they go back into free agency next summer, they can they can go after other guys and say, hey, look, Al came here. Why wouldn't you want to come here and, and get try to get somebody else to to jump on the train? But but I do look at this group and I, I it, it just is a really interesting group because they're all. Like I, I think I'll, I almost wonder if Brad Stevens doesn't get enough credit because it feels like all these guys that they have, even including Isaiah Thomas, all have fairly significant flaws to their game in some respect, and 
Stevens has done a really nice job of managing to mesh them all together um, and make kind of the sum of the parts maybe greater than than the whole, even if they do have a roster full of pretty decent players. And I think part of that, too, is that their skills all mesh really well together. Like you said with Isaiah Thomas, like on Phoenix, he, he was he was kind of super, superfluous, like, like yeah, sure, he's, he's a really good scorer and everything else, and he's really good with the ball in his hands. Well, they had Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic and everybody else, and it's like they didn't really need that. The Celtics desperately needed that, and so he fit in. And then they needed the, a wing, a rugged wing like Jay Crowder, and so he fit in. And, and so it's like they, they all really mesh well together. So I think part of the credit goes to Stevens, but I think also it's just like they have a roster that – of a lot of guys who play well together and, and their skills just kind of work. And, and it's weird because they have that, but they also just, they just need a talent upgrade. Like they won 48 games. They added Al Horford. They're still not a contender in the Eastern conference. They're still not a contender to an NBA title. They, they need more top of the line talent. And whether that's somebody on the roster, who knows what, honestly, I have no clue what Jalen Brown will be. He could be <laughs> anything. and It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but whether it's someone on the roster who becomes that or whether it's they go out and, and get a free agent or trade for, for a high, high-caliber player, they need that upgrade. And, and that's the toughest part, and that's why that's, that's, you know, that's the only thing they need really is, is that. As you said, it's like kind of like the Iverson Sixers in that you have all these rugged guys, all these great role players. Well, you don't have Iverson, and you don't have – Right, a, a second guy to go with him. Right, which obviously even that Sixers team needed. Right, right. They have they have Isaiah Thomas, who's a nice player and a, a, a very good player, but he's just not like I, I still maintain that ideally Isaiah Thomas is your first card off the bench on a great team, and that he can come in and play somewhere between twenty five and thirty minutes a game and do what he does. And I, I will say this. I, I think you I think you underrate Isaiah Thomas a little bit, I, I, and I think a, a lot of people do. I don't know if he gets enough credit for being such a, a dynamite offensive player. Like that Celtics team was not a good offense. They they honestly like <laughs> the fact that they finished in around average in offensive efficiency was just a testament to how good he was last year, and he has a huge usage rate. He's efficient. He hits threes. He gets to the hoop. He draws free throw attempts. Offensively, he's damn good. No, so, and I, I and it, listen, I totally agree with that. Like I, he he was a monster last year for them. No, no question about it. I get. I guess where I, I guess where it comes in for me is you kind of you kind of have to play. If you have Isaiah Thomas on the court, to me, to have him be at his best like he was last year, you kind of have to use him like you did last year. And I, if you have if you have them out there with a bunch of really good players, or, or if the level of talent's higher, I, I just don't know how much more effective he really is going to be. Um, you know, and maybe maybe I am maybe I'm way off base on that. But I I look at the the defensive issues he's got because, and it's not for a lack of effort. He's just you know he's five nine and what a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty, whatever he weighs. Like he just can't. He's not going to be able to guard anybody. I mean, he's just he's just fundamentally gonna just get pushed around by guys because even smaller guys in position have six inches on him. I mean, Steph Curry's what six two one ninety one eighty five, so he's probably got five inches and what twenty pounds on Isaiah. 
And he's, yeah, a, he's basically and he's, a, a center compared to us. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's one of the smaller guards. I mean, somebody like Kyle Lowry could just probably put him under the basket every time if he wanted to. Um, so it's more just a it's more just a size and functionality thing. But um, but no, the, but, he's he's he he's definitely proven that he can be a one man show and carry an offense, which is why to me, if you if you have a good enough team where he can be like what Manu was for the Spurs and you can bring him off the bench, and he can just run your second unit and just destroy teams. I mean, look, I guess the way I think about it is, if you look at what the Raptors did last year, right? Like, yep. the Raptors won 56 games because they, they had Kyle Lowry playing a lot more minutes than Isaiah, but they had Kyle Lowry playing against second units every night, and he was murdering people. And to me, if you could have Isaiah play 30 minutes a game and two-thirds of those are whatever 60 percent of them are against second units he would be that would be such a massive advantage for a really good team over um over a over a normal one but he also i mean I, well that, I that's love that comparison by the way because because the raptors did use that beautifully like kyle lowry and bench units just destroyed everyone right right and it's not that i think that i it's not that i think that isaiah thomas is a a, a below average starting point guard like he he isn't I just look at him, especially with the defensive limitations. Like, to me, if you could get him on a second unit and you have another primary ball handler where you can, you can have him come in and you could, you, maybe you can have him with somebody else to end games and you can have him just torch second units, um, I just think he would – I just think that's probably the best way to maximize his usage. But with that being said, maybe the Celtics can do stuff like that now if other guys step up, which is um, something else I want to touch on with you. I mean – their starting lineup's pretty set to me. You've got you've got Isaiah, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, uh, Horford, and Amir Johnson. Like I think that's pretty. Uh, unless you disagree, I think that's a pretty clear starting five, right? I wouldn't be surprised if that's a starting five. I wouldn't be surprised if they start like a Linux to have more shooting and scoring in the first unit, and then have a rim protector in either Horford or Amir Johnson at all times. Uh, but yeah, I mean. One way or the other, it'll yeah, be very. Similar I would. To that. I'm pretty sure they'd. St- I'm pretty sure they'll start with a mirror. I, I'm pretty sure they would start with a mirror, and then you could bring in a Linux for either one of those guys um, coming off the bench, and then you can you can start the second quarter with either one of them back in the game, um, either one of them with Jarebko, or you know maybe Johnson comes back in with Jarebko to start the second or something. Um, so I, I, that'd be my guess. But but the second unit to me is where the intrigue is with this team. You've got Terry Rozier. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, um, and and even Olenek, who's coming into a contract year. I mean, all four of those guys to me, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where where the intrigue starts. Let's start with Olenek. I know he had he had shoulder surgery, right? That's the surgery he had that he's recovered from. Yeah, and, and that who knows how much of an issue that'll be. Like he he's a shooting big man. Uh, he hasn't been able to shoot, I assume, for most of the summer, or at least like he hasn't been able to get his full reps he hasn't been able to do everything that he normally does right so if that affects it that, that could really hurt and then, yeah it's like a whole lot of guys the whole bench unit is like either guys that have you have no clue what they're going to be like rosier and brown uh, those guys who knows what role they'll fill and then marcus smart will probably have to play a, a brand new role because evan turner's gone and evan turner played point guard most of the time for that second unit so it'll just be new roles and responsibilities for everybody in that unit. So it'll be really interesting to see how, how that group meshes. 
and how everything in, in that unit comes together. Right. Now, let, let's start with Olenek, though. Now, we we don't think there's any chance that the, that the Celtics will sign him to an extension, right, because uh, uh, because they're going to try to maximize their cap space next summer? Yeah, there's zero chance they'll even discuss uh, an extension, I believe, because they want to have that max max cap space next summer. Unless he, unless and, he was willing to take a, a, a really, really good, big discount on his contract and it's kind of hard to see that too after the summer we just went through even then it would be like even if you commit to him for any amount of money and that's over his his qualifying offer that hurts your chances of being able to clear maximum contract space and it's 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 been obvious that they wanted two maximum contract got space space for two maximum contract guys last summer and this year they, they want at least space for one so I, I would be really, really stunned if he ends up with a contract extension. Right. So what do you what do you kind of see? Um, you know, where do you see his game at right now? I mean, he, you know, he's coming in. He's coming into his fourth season in the league now. Um, you know, he, the final year of his rookie deal. Um, you know, he was. You know, he's famously picked a couple spots before Giannis back in that 2013 draft and. He he's had an okay career. Like he, he's he's, you know, he's a seven footer that can shoot the ball a little bit. He shot forty percent from three on three attempts last year, which is nice. And um, but he's you know he's not a great rebounder. Um, you know, he's he's kind of, he's a little iffy on defense. So you know, do you do you see do you see him being able to take another step forward? Um, do you see more development there now that he's you know he's twenty five? He's kind of starting to get towards his prime. Or do or do you think that you know this is kind of what Kelly Olynyk is like a nice, you know, third big guy that can come in and, and space the floor a little bit on defense and and do some stuff. I think that's probably what he'll end up being, and and that's fine. Like he's a really helpful offensive player already. He's probably a better defender than he's given credit for. Um, but what what really holds him back, and I, I do think there's a chance he reaches another level, and I, I think that because there are some games when he's just awesome and he's hitting threes, he's driving by guys, he's such a such a factor on the offensive end. And then there are other games when it's like he doesn't realize his full skill set and all the tools that he has and and how much of a problem he can be. Like he's he's a seven footer who can come off staggered screens and shoot a three. So I, I think if he fully realizes all of his potential then then there's a chance he becomes like like this real offensive weapon and a guy who even if he doesn't put up huge numbers, it's just an absolute offensive difference maker because he's a seven-foot center who stretches the court to the three-point arc at all times. Uh, but he needs to, like, like it's all about mentality with him. If he realizes it in his own head, then he, he could maybe take an, another step. But right now, I don't, I don't really expect him to. Right. No, and I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, and again, like, you know, if you, if you draft – it's kind of the funny thing about the draft itself. Like, you know, if you draft a guy like Olenek with the 13th pick, you know, it, it it's probably about as good as you can hope for realistically with the 13th pick to get a guy who's in the rotation for 10 years in the league. Um, yeah, it's it, it's funny because everyone complains that, that they didn't draft Giannis, but right. like Olenek was a really good pick in that draft. Right, right. You go back and look, you know, if you go back and look at the 2013 draft, I mean, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of duds. And, a lot of swings and misses you know, there. Yeah, yeah, and that and that is kind of the thing. You know, you look at the Celtics, right? And you know, we can get into this a little bit later, maybe. But the, you, you know, when you hoard all these picks, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the second you draft somebody, you know, the value of that pick starts to go down unless they're a star. And, yeah. you know, it, it is kind of an interesting situation. I mean, yeah, you look, you know, you look at the guys ahead of him. You had, you know, he's probably a similar kind of player to Otto Porter. Anthony Bennett was the first pick, was a disaster. Um, you know, Oladipo, yeah. Zeller, okay. Len is okay. Noel's okay. But Macklemore isn't any good. Uh, Caldwell Pope is, Davis Caldwell Pope's been okay. Trey Burke wasn't very good. McCollum's been good. Carter Williams hasn't really been good, even though one rookie of the year. Um, you know, you look at some of the guys drafted after him. Obviously, Giannis and Dennis Schroeder were good, but Shane Larkin, Sergey Karasev, Bebe Nagara, yeah. Shabazz Muhammad. Just, just a bad draft. Yeah, a lot of these guys are, are, are either washed out or on the verge of it. So, um, yeah, it is something it is something for people to remember. But the I think it's it's probably better to focus on uh, it's probably better to focus on the guys in the uh, in the front court or in the in the back court. Uh, you know, I guess Jalen Brown's technically a front court player, but you know, to me, the the most intriguing guys on the roster coming into this season are are Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and and Jalen Brown for a variety of reasons. Let's start let's start with Rozier. Um, you know, he was a guy that kind of got thrust into the spotlight during. Uh, the playoffs when Avery Bradley went down, he really got a a big dose of playing time, and and you know he had his moments where he actually did a little bit of stuff, even though he obviously looked a little overwhelmed by the moment, you know, play, being as a rookie playing in the playoffs. Yeah. But but he he showed some stuff, and then in summer league he was terrific. He he really stood out to me as one of the most impressive guys I saw there. Um, you know, do you think that it's possible that come opening night he is the guy who's the primary? Back up to Isaiah in terms of when Isaiah's not in the game, he's the one that's handling the ball for them. I, I, I think it's possible. I, I do think Marcus Smart has some of that potential and, and, and could be maybe a better player on the ball than, than he was off the ball, spotting up next to Evan Turner. If you look at Smart's, Smart's numbers, like as a pick and roll distributor, he was pretty good and he just didn't do it a lot. So I think Smart's definitely the leader in the clubhouse. I wouldn't be shocked if Rozier takes on those responsibilities, though. And I say that because I heard a lot of good things about his development during last season, and that was even before you know he played some minutes in the playoffs. And he didn't look out of place in the playoffs. Like he didn't do much. He was just kind of on the court taking up space. But he also didn't look completely overmatched, and that's normally a good sign for a rookie who hasn't played a lot of minutes. And then in summer league, like you said. All the, all the developments you'd want to see from him, he was a much better shooter. The finishing had obviously improved. And he, he looked a step above all, most of the other guys in the summer league. And, and that's really what you want from, from a guy who, who played his rookie season, played some playoff minutes, and then goes into summer league against a, a lot of guys who don't have as much experience or pedigree as he does as, as a mid-first-round pick. So it, it's, it's been all good signs so far, but he's going to have – different NBA responsibilities than he's had so far. And, yeah, like you said, like, that whole backcourt is just, I have no clue how it's going to unfold. And then you got Gerald Green in there. And who, who knows how many minutes he'll play, what type of role he'll play. So that whole thing is just, like, very unpredictable. Well, you would imagine, I mean, you would imagine, I mean, to me, at least as of now, it seems pretty clear to me that you're going to have Isaiah and Avery Bradley starting and then Rogier and Marcus in some order in the backcourt behind them. And then RJ Hunter yep. and James Young just aren't going to play and might get cut, right? At least in Young's case. Like, yeah, that, they're, that seems they're probably fair. competing for the last spot. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me seems like, I'm, I think I would guess they would cut Young if they cut any of these guaranteed guys. But, um, but yeah, no, I, to me, it just seems like, you know, and I, you know, 
I, th- I just think that Rogier and Smart, they just seem like they're destined to be the backup guards. And, and I could see them certainly trading off on handling the ball. Um, yeah, they, they could they, definitely be interchangeable. But this is kind of this is this is kind of a make or break year for Smart, right? I mean, I know it's only I know it's only his third year in the league, and 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 again, he's kind of like Olenek in that you know it's pretty clear he's 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 going to be a player for a long time. I mean, worst case scenario, Marcus Smart becomes basically Tony Allen, and he you know he's probably a little better shooter and probably not quite as good since Tony Allen's an all world defender and Marcus Smart's probably not going to be quite that good but if you're a little better shooter and a little worse defender than Tony Allen you're a damn good player um but that like isn't this the year where if he's going to be a better player than that he needs to prove it and really take a step forward overall you would hope to see at least some strides whether it's in a pick and roll and definitely in shooting like last year for as many attempts as he shot he was one of the worst shooters in NBA history from the three-pointer for 241 I mean that that makes you want to cry or puke or or just, <laughs> just like it, it really is sad the the numbers he shot from behind the arc. I, I the, you could give him some excuses like he broke his fingers before the season and but like at the same point he needs to show strength like you said and it, it, it's kind of like you knew coming into the NBA that he was going to be a very good defender right. and that was going to be what translated the easiest. You knew that the offense was going to take a lot longer. And with point guards especially, I, I think it, it often takes longer for them to realize their, their potential. And you, specifically, you at, and you specifically knew with Marcus Smart his shooting was going to be bad. Like that, yeah, that was, and, that was the, the, really the one real question about his game coming out of the draft was, is he ever going to be able to shoot? Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy I always look at when, when I compare Marcus Smart is, is Kyle Lowry. And I, I just because they both came into the NBA and you knew they were going to be just like ferocious, defensive, like hustlers, but you didn't know what the offense was going to be like. Kyle Lowry, I don't think he shot better than 30% from three until his fifth year in the NBA. And now he's a, he's a very good shooter. So maybe it develops later. I don't think like you, you have to put this, this pressure like it's now in year three or never, but I, I do think, especially given the fact that he'll play more point guard, you want to see him grow, and I, he's one of those guys. I have no clue what he'll be like. It. I don't think it. It's out of the question for him to become like an all-star type because he's already so damn good defensively. If he just becomes a good or better point guard, then he's hugely helpful. Like he. He. We've already talked about his historically bad shooting, and he helped the Celtics when he was on the court. Like he was still a, a plus player. Right. So if, if he ever be, if he ever grows offensively. He could be a menace at both ends of the court. You see it sometimes for like short stretches, but he needs to, he needs to be able to do it obviously for for more consistency. No, I mean you're right about Kyle Lowry. It's a great comparison. You're right about the numbers, and you're also right in terms of just their style of play. I mean, they're, you know, Lowry's a little bit smaller, but he's still a big, tough guy, and and they're they're very similar in all those respects. And I guess more I guess more what I meant. I agree with you. There, there's always a chance he develops down the road, and. Uh, more what I was getting at was that if you're the Celtics, right, and, you know, at some point you have to start making decisions on these guys. And, yeah. and, and like, if you need to see, all right, is Marcus Smart a guy that after this season we look at him and go, that's a guy that can be part of a championship core? And not, not as a reserve, like, is he a, is he a guy that maybe can be a seventh or eighth guy on a championship team, or could he maybe start? Like, that, yeah. that I think is what they need to figure out, less than, you know, what exactly, um, what you know? What if, if he you know whether he is going to improve three years from now? 
I mean, they, they're going to have to start making decisions a year from now um, when he's up for a contract extension or, you know, when he, when he's eligible for a restricted free agency like that, you know, that's when they're going to have to really decide, all right, are we committing to this guy for big money? Um, or are we, or are we going to either move on or, or try to get him at a, at a cheaper discount? And, and that's where I say this year, like all of the, all, everything is there for him to be a huge contributor for them. You know, probably as their first guy off the bench. And then as a, um, you know, probably play in the smaller lineups at the end of games next to Bradley on the wings with uh, Crowder and, and Horford at the, the big spots. And, you know, it just it they really need him to to take that step forward to kind of start to fill in some of the supplementary guys they need to to fill out that roster to really take, I think, that next step forward as a franchise. Yeah, definitely. He, he's he's a, a key part to it. And he's one of those guys like like with Brown, they could really change the trajectory of the franchise by taking that leap. And I, I don't know what the percentages are of, of Marcus Smart like learning how to be a, a good offensive player, and I don't know what the percentages are of, of Jalen Brown being like a, a franchise-changing type. But but I mean, it's possible, and and maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it happens for neither of those guys. But I, I do think it's possible, and either of those events could could change the course of of the Celtics franchise. And so, like, there's all these little things that that go into it and it's really a fun team to watch right now because like you said with Marcus Smart is he a starter on a championship team I think you can ask that question about a lot of the players on their roster and and what exactly are they on the championship team which is what Danny Ainge is trying to build right there's one guy that that that's proven he's good enough to be on that kind of team and it's Al Horford and the problem is for, for all the good things that have been said about that signing, and they deserve to be said because it was a great signing for a lot of reasons, he's 30. So, you know, they, he's probably not going to be at that level player in three years. So, you know, in the, in, the, in the near term, they need to really try to identify guys that can get to that level. And, and he, he, you know, Marcus certainly has the potential to do that. The other guy, you mentioned, we've talked around him a few times, is Jalen Brown. You know, I'm on record saying that I think the Celtics should have drafted Chris Dunn with the third pick. I love Chris Dunn. Um, I'm totally in the tank for him. I, I was since I saw him <laughs> since I saw him the first time in live live uh, playing for Providence a year and a half ago. Now I just I think he's just going to be a star. But but Jalen Brown's a fascinating prospect. I mean he's he's a a total toolbox uh, on the wings. He's you know six seven guy. Uh, he's got six uh, eleven wingspan. Um, you know, he's two twenty five. Uh, he just, he's not even turned 20 until October 24th. Um, you know, he, he can handle the ball. He can pass. He can do everything on the court, basically, again, except shoot. And, you know, he, he's another guy that, you know, it, to me is just a really fascinating piece for them. Um, you know, do you think, do you think that he is going to kind of step into that rotation right away as kind of that backup to Jay Crowder in those initial lineups on the wing, or do you think it's more likely that he spends most of his time in Maine early on and has to kind of uh, main, main, the main Red Claws are, are, are Boston's D-League team, for those who don't know. Um, do, you, do you think he has to spend some time in Maine and, and kind of prove that he deserves a spot first? I think the hope and the idea is that he'll earn a spot right in that away. perimeter rotation. I mean, I mean, when you look at their roster, it's like, the guys who will be beating out are like R.J. Hunter and James Young, who neither of whom have played a role at real a real role at any point in their careers. Gerald Green, who's like an intriguing piece, I guess, because he can score a lot in bunches, but 
his last two years haven't been good. Well, so none, of those, like none of those guys are really threes. I mean, James Young's the only one who could kind of be a three, and I think it's most likely that he gets caught. So, I mean, yeah, so, so he's the guy. He comes in, and there's not a lot of competition at the three spot. He should – you want the number three overall pick to earn minutes in some way, and I, I think he will. I think he'll, behind Jay Crowder, get minutes. And even if he's not substantially better than those guys and doesn't really beat them out, even if he's close, like – He's the number three pick. He's, he's 19 years old. He's part of your future. Throw him in there. See what happens. Well, and, and the nice thing, too, you would, the nice thing you would think, too, right, is if even if you have him out there with Smart and they're they're both not hitting threes, let's say Smart doesn't really take a step forward. <laughs> no, but I, what I was going to say was Rogier's a pretty good shooter, and if you're yeah. playing them with Olenek, let's say two of Olenek, Horford, and, and Jarebko, then you've still got three guys that are pretty good shooters around them. And so that would, yeah. would kind of mitigate... Even if both of them don't take, even if Smart and Brown don't take the steps forward shooting wise, you would hope for. Um, I, I think it does allow for them to still play those guys and get the most out of their physical tools that they can without it really compromising their offense a great deal. Yeah, and one exciting thing I think about Jalen Brown is that he does have this this star potential because he is so athletic and and so strong already, and he's, he's incredibly like you smart said, dude too. Yeah, and, and so, so there is this star potential, but also, you know, at 19 years old, he's strong enough and he can move his feet enough, and he'll, he'll, I think he'll be able to help a team in a smaller role kind of right away. Like, he'll make deflections, he'll get steals, he'll get, draw free throws. Like, he doesn't have to be, uh, like, he can be a little role player right away as he grows into whatever else he'll become. So I, I think that all bodes well for his chances of, of getting a spot in the rotation. And I, I think... It would be very disappointing if, if he has to spend time in Maine and, and he's not ready right away for, for a small role, at least in that second unit. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like I said before, you know, I, I just, like I, I was looking at the roster yesterday, just kind of as I was doing this email thing. And, um, you know, it, it, it does just seem like, you know, the, the roster's just screaming out for somebody to play behind Jay Crowder. And, you know, hey, you drafted this 6 7. Adonis on the wing, you know, yeah. at the number three pick, you would certainly hope that you could play him for 15 minutes a game early on. And, you know, if he ends up being able to, to handle more than that, great. But at the very least, like you said, if you're drafting a guy in the top five, no matter what his age is, you'd like to think you could kind of, you know, bleed him in a little bit right away and, uh, yeah. and, and see what he can do. And, and what I wonder about too with him is how quickly will he be able to play some four? Because, He's strong enough, he's big enough, he has a big enough wingspan that ultimately he is going to be able to play the three and the four. And maybe not the like two Crowder. Well. He's even kind of a similar size to Crowder. Not Probably not quite as strong because Crowder's built like a, a brick house. But, um, yeah, yeah. But, so, but still, so I'm but still capable of doing that, for sure. Totally Yeah, agree. exactly. So, so, so I'm interested to see how long it takes him until he's able to, to play the four defensively uh, because I, I think maybe he's better suited for, for that position offensively right now and be kind of like a, a really athletic four who can really get by guys and, right. and make you really explosive. But defensively, I'm, I'm not sure he's there yet. And yeah. I, it might take him a while until he's able to take some minutes and, from Jonas Jarebko or whoever, whoever yeah. else is before. Well, and probably the hope for him is that he does what Stanley Johnson did last year, right? Like Stanley yeah. Johnson came in, and he was, he was a young guy like Jalen Brown, really young guy, and he had his moments where he looked a little lost. But as the year went on and as you got into the playoffs, you know, they had – 
you know, they had Marcus Morris and, and Tobias Harris, the Pistons, at the three and the four. So, you know, they didn't need him to start. But Stanley Johnson was playing significant minutes for them in the playoffs as a rookie. And, and guarded LeBron James. Guarded LeBron and, and was, was a core part of their, their eight- or nine-man rotation. And I'm sure if the Celtics could be getting Jalen Brown to play playoff minutes for them next spring, I mean, that I'm sure that's – that's a home run, I'm sure, for them as they move forward in terms of his development. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's the dream. And, and if, if he shows that first, if he could play some minutes at the four, that'd be big too. Obviously, you know, they could use some depth there. I, I think Jarebko and Olenek or whoever else will play four and Crowder will play some minutes too. So it's not like they, they need depth anywhere. They're, they have a super deep roster. Right. But if you can develop a guy like Crowder who can guard threes and fours and twos and whoever else, that's huge. In the NBA, that is at such a premium. And I think that's part of what makes Jalen Brown exciting is that he does have that type of potential. Right. Now, before you get out of here, I, I want to ask you one thing. Obviously, people in Boston are not exactly known for being, uh, being uh, you know, conservative when they get excited about their, their team, led by you know, <laughs> Tommy Heinsohn, of course, famously. But, um, you know, the Celtics last year, they won 48 games. They, you know, they, they do a decent job. Uh, making some progress, uh, you know they win a couple games in the first round before losing. Um, you know when you when you look at them, um, what do you what do you think is a a realistic range for them wins wise this year? Like how much of a jump are you expecting? Anywhere from like fifty to fifty five wins, and I, I say that because I, I think Horford will give them a couple wins by himself. I, I also like there's still question marks about their bench though. Like, like you said, like there's a lot of things that are unsettled about their bench so we'll, we'll see how that develops uh, another part of it is last year and a lot of people kind of kind of didn't talk about this they were like 500 halfway through the year and they were playing traditional lineups with david lee and them that just weren't working and as soon as they got away from that as soon as they went to small lineups more skilled lineups they they really started to play well and they finished something like 30 and 18 or something like that i'm not sure exactly what the number was but they, they are on a much better pace after the middle of January than they were prior to that. So I, I think they did a lot of improving last year, and I, I think they'll kind of follow that similar philosophy this year, that they'll be smaller, more skilled. They'll have either Kelly Olenek, Jonas Jarebko, Jay Crowder at the four a lot. And so I, I think their lineups from the beginning of the year make a lot of sense, and they won't have to spend so much time experimenting uh, with, with lineups that, that really didn't, didn't play well for half the season last right. year. Now, so, now, and I think I think fifty to to fifty five is realistic. Um, I, I think that's a realistic jump for them. But do you think that people up there are going to be disappointed, um, either a moderate or very, if this team isn't the number two seed at worst, and if they don't make the conference finals? Like, have, have maybe have maybe expectations outstripped a little bit what maybe the realistic expectations of another step forward should be because of the way uh, the summer went. I think people would be disappointed if they fail to get out of the first round again. If if they have another first round exit, I think there'll be disappointment, and I, I think that'll be pretty justified. That that I totally agree how, with. That I totally given agree with. how much talent is there. If if you get out of the first round and you're the two or the three seed, and like losing to Toronto in the round two would be there'd be no shame in that. Toronto is a very good team. Oh no, I agree. I, I totally I so, totally agree with that. I guess what I mean is. To be, do you think the people up there will? Do you think the people up there will think that, or would? Or do people up there now think 
all right, we got Al Horford, we got Jalen Brown, we have this deep team, we have all these good young players, we have all these picks. Like, we should be the clear number two team to, to Cleveland now. Like, is that yeah, – if, if it isn't that, like, let's say they let's say they finish behind Toronto and Detroit and they finish fourth, or whether they, maybe they finish third, lose to, finish behind Toronto and lose to them, like you said. Like, will the majority of people see that as progress, or would the majority of people see that as we still should be better? Uh, I mean, I, I, obviously it depends how it goes. I think there would be some talking heads that would be disappointed if if they don't reach the conference finals and, and have this huge year or whatever. But but look, if 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 they make another step forward, and whether it's 50 wins, 51, 52, whatever it might be, and the thing is they still have the Brooklyn pick coming. They still have cap space. They're still in a great position. So I, I think the, the huge part is taking that other step forward. If you stagnate, even with Al Horford, then, then maybe there's, a little cause for concern, but honestly, I think they're they're in a great place, and I think they've grown, and I think they'll show that. But if they don't, yeah, who knows? But I, I don't think I don't think like everyone thinks conference finals are bust. If that's what you're asking, yeah, no, I that, I was just curious, kind of what um what the mood was because you know there has been a lot of talk about how um there has been a lot of talk about how you know how much you know how big it was to get Horford and and the strides the Celtics have made. And, and look, I frankly think the Celtics might have the best record in the East. I mean, it, I, I, I kind of think Cleveland is at the point Miami was at the end of the LeBron run where they don't really care where they finish um, because they're going to stop everyone and they don't care if they're on the road or not. And, like, to me, I, I think that either, um, either Boston or Toronto is just as likely to have the most wins in the East this year as Cleveland. Like I, you know, I could see Cleveland winning 52 games and LeBron taking 15 games off, and you know them just kind of coasting, you know. And and I, yeah, I, yeah that I would be crazy. The, I think the potential is there for them to to make that kind of leap. But but you know, it, I did just kind of wonder if the mood up there was kind of like conference finals or bust now that you know they made these moves, or if you did think that it was more of a uh, you know people were kind of okay if it is just another step forward. Now I totally agree. I mean, they, if they don't get yeah. out of the first round now. Like last year, you know, I didn't think they were good enough to get out of the first round. But when you replace um, when you replace uh, Jared Sullinger with Al Horford, you know, in the East, you should you should take a step forward and, and be out of the first round. Now that that I think is very fair. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think that's what it is. I think everyone's pretty realistic in knowing that this is not a contender yet. The Celtics they're not built to compete for a championship. They're not built at this point, to win an Eastern Conference title unless, you know, they, they get really lucky and injuries happen or whatever else, or they make a big trade or whatever. But right now, as, as things stand, like, they still have steps to make. And I think it's just the progress that people care about. And as long as they show that, then, then people are on board. And, and even if they don't, it's like they, they'll still have gas space and all that. And so it's kind of crazy how many opportunities they've given themselves to take that next step and, and add another difference-making type player, but then you still have to get lucky and get it. And obviously Horford is that type of player, but they still need another guy or two. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, man. They're you know the Eastern Conference this year is going to be interesting as a whole. You know, I, I know I'm about to move out west, but it's know, a bizarre it, conference. It, it is weird. Like I I think it's. To me, the conferences, like, people keep acting like the Western Conference is so much better than the East. I fundamentally disagree. I mean, the, the Warriors are the best team by a mile, but the Cavs are just as much better than everybody in the East. And after that, like, there's a couple teams that are a tier above. You could argue 
maybe the Clippers and the Spurs are a little better than like the 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 Celtics and the 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 Raptors. But you go from four to twelve in both conferences, and you could make a lot of arguments that you could basically toss all eight or nine teams in a hat, and they could come out in just about any order, and it wouldn't be crazy. Yeah, I, I have no clue what'll happen after like three in the East. I don't know what the Hawks will be like. I don't know what the Magic will be like. I don't know what the Pacers will be like. Like even the Knicks, I think have a little upside with, with the roster they've put together, at least in the short term. So it's just a, a bizarre mix after after three. Yeah, maybe four. Yeah, no, it'll be uh, it'll it'll be interesting, and and uh, I'll be looking forward to following along with you throughout the year. So so thanks for coming on, man. Uh, go ahead and plug um, go ahead and plug all your stuff. Let let the people know where they can find you. Tell them about your podcast. Tell them about any work you've been doing. Um, yeah, fo- on what so doing. follow me. All my all my writing can be found at masslive.com slash Celtics. Follow me on Twitter at by J King, B Y J A Y K I N G. Uh, follow the Lockdown Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. You can search for it wherever. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, no, Jay's stuff is all great. Does a great job on the Celtics. Um, and uh, Hopefully I'll see you. Uh, hopefully I'll see you for uh, the the Celtics uh, the Celtics game against the Warriors up in Boston in November. I might come back for that. So um, beautiful. Hopefully beautiful. I'll see you then. Uh, you can find my work in the Washington Post or on uh, WashingtonPost.com. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook at NBA. You can uh, please search for the podcast uh, posting up search posting up on iTunes. Give us a five star rating review. That'd be great. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, bought, uh, Massachusetts natives for the uh, for the theme is for the podcast. Go uh, search for them on the interwebs and, and buy their stuff. Uh, Jay, thanks again for coming by, man. And the the final few days here of uh, of peace and quiet before the um, before things get started. Yeah, man. Good good luck with your move. Next time you have an announcement, just like text me what it is, so so I don't even have to get <laughs> out of here. Well, I at least got to make you ask me. So uh, <laughs> least got to make you ask. You're not going to listen first, but. Uh, no, but thank, thanks for doing this, man, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.